But now he's coming with a a warning to the believers, those that he'd never seen, but he'd heard reports of, and God burdened his heart to write to them. And he he's warning them, okay, Christ is all of this that we've already seen. And he says, be careful that you don't allow anything to remove you from Christ. Don't you allow anything to rob you of what you have in Jesus Christ. I'll just, I see some different looks on faces. Yes, this is the message. And no, it's not um, 11 o'clock, okay? So we have changed things up. If you have to double clutch and shift gears, um, you go ahead and do that, okay? To pace yourself here. And some of you are thinking, is he going to preach for 45 minutes? I'm not planning on it right now, but you never know, all right? A few weeks ago, Marilyn's niece, who lives in Denver, Colorado, had her car stolen. And and, um, through the process, they eventually found the car. The police found the car. The police didn't go looking for it, but they found it. Um, wrecked and and it was they called them then and they went down and they found their car and it was all tore up on the inside and smashed up. There were needles, not sewing needles. There were needles all over in the car and and the police said you can go ahead and get into it. And she said. No, I don't. I don't I don't even want in that vehicle. I don't know if you've ever been robbed. But when you have been robbed, there's a sense of violation. There's a sense of this is weird. A number of years ago someone broke into the church and and went through things and they'd gone through my desk and 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 realizing that Opening up the desk and seeing it been gone through, it just it gives you a weird sense. Someone that I don't know was here doing things that we don't know, and and it is it's a it's a sense of a violation, and and it is not a good thing. And Paul is writing to these at Colossae, and he said, You have been given this treasure in Jesus Christ. And I am writing you to warn you, I don't want the day to come where you think, Oh man, what I had, I allowed someone to take away from me. Because I didn't pay attention because I was negligent or apathetic or whatever. And, and he wanted to hold up the theme of Colossians is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Many times Jesus Christ is like a mascot to we as Christians, okay? You know, teams have mascot, the Chargers have Charger... Isn't that his name? What's his name? Maybe Sheraton doesn't have a mascot. I don't know, okay? Um, 
The cyclones have what? Champ? If it takes that long to come up with the psych, the the mascot of Sheraton, we're in trouble, all right? Let me go to one more known, okay? The cyclones have psi and the hawkeyes have herky, okay? We all know who those are. And, you know, they show up for pep rallies and they're on the sidelines at the game and they're trying to get the crowds up and going and at the pep rallies they get them going. But then, when it comes to the game, they're not the ones winning the game. They're not the ones playing. Oftentimes in Christianity, Christ is like a mascot. We rally around at pep rallies on Sunday morning and, yeah, and we get excited, but then often we relegate him to the sidelines and we live our life in our own way and um, we might want a feel-good time for a while and so we come back and look at our mascot and, and, you know, mascots, they always put these uniforms on to make them like their biceps are this big, you know, and, and they're strong, and you take it off, and, and there's some skinny little runt like me under there, you know. And, and the reality is that sometimes Christ is not much more than a figurehead in Christianity in the reality of our lives. And Paul is writing here, And he's warning them, you have been given, and we're not going to review this, you've been given this great, great treasure in Jesus Christ. And now, he says, I want you to walk in this way. Verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, this great treasure, so walk in him. What he's saying is, live in what you have been given. Live in Jesus Christ. And he's urging them. You no longer, it's not just study Jesus Christ, but live him. Don't just learn about him, but put it into action. You You have received Jesus Christ at salvation, but that's the initial stage. He came to save us, yes indeed, but now He wants to order our lives. He wants to direct us. He wants to empower us. He wants to show in us a transformed life. And so Paul says, Christ did an amazing thing in saving your soul. But he says, now, don't just just leave that there. I want you to walk in Him. And as you walk in Him, it will come out of your life in thanksgiving. And and it will be manifested. So He's saying, I want you to live in what you have been given. Jesus Christ. Make Him your life. Not something you do on Sunday morning. Maybe Sunday morning, Sunday night. Maybe... Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. 
I want it to be your life. Jesus Christ is your life. Unto the holy, all things are holy. If Jesus Christ is in us, He should be through us in every area of our life. So first of all, He says, live in what you have been given, Jesus Christ. And then you notice verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So now he gives a warning. Beware of anything that keeps you from Christ. Beware of anything that keeps you from Jesus Christ. Beware of anything that is added to Christ. And he lists four areas that we're going to mention that we need to beware of. First of all is beware of false teaching. Beware of um, those that according to the philosophy of the world and empty deceit. Beware of false teaching is anything that adds something to Christ. See, it's not enough to say to someone, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, they believe in Jesus Christ. You ask a Mormon, they would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. But they believe Jesus Christ different than what we believe as a Bible. And in addition... Joseph Smith has the revelation for our hemisphere. So it's Jesus Christ plus something. All false teachers, it's plus something besides Jesus Christ. Many of them will acknowledge Jesus Christ, but it's in addition to. And he's saying that takes away from Jesus Christ. That is not... What our faith is in. Our faith is in Jesus Christ alone. And, and the Greek word that he uses, beware lest anyone cheat you or spoil you, it's a figurative description of the destructive effects of false teachers who sought to rob believers at Colossae of the valuable riches they have in Christ alone. In Christ alone, we have everything we need for life and godliness. And he said, beware, there are people that are going to come and rob you of what you have in Christ by substituting something else here. Christ is all you need for salvation, for life, for godliness. And he said, I I want you to be aware of this. The, The term also carries the connotation of plunder taken from an enemy in war or a victim of robbery. So here are this wonderful treasure we have in Jesus Christ. And false teachers will come and say, well, in addition to this, you need this. And they will add to Christ. So, He's saying, beware of anything that keeps you from Christ. Secondly, he says, beware of not only false teachers, but beware of deceived reasoning. 
Beware of deceived reasoning according false philosophies, vain philosophies, empty deceit. That's the deceived reasoning there. It is easy for us to have deceived reasoning. It is easy for us to be close but not on target. Um, an example. Years ago, when, when we first came to church here, we established as a kind of a motto, building godly families. And that's, that's a worthy model. <clears throat> but that's deceit. That, that isn't the mission of a church. The mission of a church is to point people to Jesus Christ, and in the process... He will bring and build godly families. Because it's not just building godly families. You see what I'm trying to illustrate here? We, we often have good, <clears throat> good goals, but it doesn't end with Christ. And you might say, well, you, can, you, you can't build godly families without Christ. No, but we can try. And that's what we often do. Um, we, can, we can be deceived through reasoning. Um, I thank God for America. I thank God for God's hand in America. But America first is a whole lot different than Christ alone. We're not here to save America. We're here to walk in the power of God, and He may save America through us doing that, or He may not. But it's easy for us to get good things. We, we teach and we preach and we practice on uh, the principles of God's Word and one of the principles of God's Word is to be separated from sin. But it's easy to get where that's the focal point. I'm separated from sin. I'm separated from sin. And, and in that, we may be separated from sin, but are we separated unto Christ? And there's many times that Christ isn't the issue. And Paul is saying... Be careful. You can, you can have deceived reasoning. I, and again, all of these things. I, I like prophecy. Prophecy is over one-fourth of the Bible is prophetic. But if you look at prophecy and it doesn't bring you to Jesus, you're missing the point. See, Revelations is not a revelation. The book of Revelation is not a revelation of things to come. Look at the title of the book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and it's easy. Um, I long for the Lord's coming. Sometimes my motive is wrong. I long for it to get out of here because it's a mess in this world we're in. And even that, where's Jesus in it? 
do I long to see Jesus? The book of Revelation tells us about things to come, but I can be so immersed in in prophecy or building families or building a church. God said He would build His church, and I'm I'm out to go. We're out to go build the church, and and we have different ideas on on what what that looks like. But all of those may be good things, but where is Christ? It needs to be Jesus Christ alone. And deceived reasoning. I can rationalize things, but is it in Christ? Another thing that draws us away from Christ is the traditions of men. Just because people have believed something and handed it down through the years doesn't mean that it's true. We need to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts, that everything they heard, they searched the Scriptures to see whether that is what the Scripture says. You know, there are cultural things that we do in America that... For example, Seth Meyer, who Lord willing will be with us in June, and the people in South Africa that they don't do. Now, there are some things that we do and they do because it has its common basis in the Word of God. Then there are other things that may be traditions of men. I mean, you think about it. Um, church attendance, an excellent thing, something God commands. But sometimes that just becomes a tradition. Well, we go to church on Sunday morning. Well, that's not a bad thing. But is it because we have a desire for Christ? Or is it the tradition of men? Is it a tradition of men? What if the service times were different? What if the service times were at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Oh, he can't do that. We've never done that before. The key is, is it Christ-centered? And, and we may talk about this later. But um, traditions of men. I, I weary, I weary, I don't even know the term to put, beyond my limits of Calvinism and Arminianism. Where's Christ? You know, people bury themselves in that and, and, and we're not focused on Christ. We're not focused on rescuing the perishing. We fight over traditions more than we do over Christ. We have enough Christianity to inoculate us from Christ. We have enough practices that, that make us feel like we're Christians, but we, we don't have Christ. Years ago, a foreigner visited our country, and, and after he, a believer, and after he was here, they asked him, so what do you think? And he said, I'm amazed how much you're able to do without Christ. Meaning, we have church programs, we have this, we have that. We're doing all these things, but he says, where is Christ in it? 
And it is amazing what, what we attempt to do and what we do. So he says, beware that false teachers don't draw you away from Christ. Beware that, that you don't get off in deceived reasoning and the traditions of men. And then he says, beware that the principles of the world do not draw you away from Christ. The principles of the world. What, what identifies success in a church? To, to the average person, success in a church is uh, many people attending um, large buildings and a big budget. Okay? Well, is that what God considers success? I mean, is, uh, how many noses you can get in a building, does that determine success? Is it that you have many, many programs for every age from the toddlers up to the senior saints? Programs, man, we have something for everybody. Is that what God calls success? And is Christ the focal point? It's easy for us to buy into, and, and it's often being done that we view the work of Christ like a business. God's work isn't a business. I'm not saying it should be run shoddily, but it's not based on, on numbers. It's not based on, on size. It's not, and I'm not, minima, I'm not saying we shouldn't seek to reach the lost. But the point is, just because a church is big doesn't mean it's godly. Otherwise, the Mormon church would be one of the most godly churches in the world today. Is Christ exalted? Are people brought to faith in Christ to live their, their lives based on Christ? And, and is it biblical? <clears throat> the story is told of a woman who became seriously ill <clears throat> was taken to the hospital, and in the evening her husband asked the doctor um, for a report, and he said, she's improving. And for several days, her doctor gave the same report. Every evening, the husband would meet with the doctor, she's improving, she's improving. Four or five days, she's improving. The next day, he came out and said, she died. And he asked, well, did she die of improvements? In the church realm, we're, we're always trying to improve things. And we're improving by making things more friendly for the world and cutting back and modifying, and mixing, and adjusting, and we say we're improving. But the churches in America today are dying. From our human reasoning, from the principles of the world, well, you can't attract people with this, so let's try this. Listen, it's God that has to attract people. It's Christ that has to draw people. 
I'm not saying you just stick your head in the sand, but the reality is we cannot build it. We cannot do the work of God. It must be Christ. And this is what Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. There are all kinds of things coming to draw you away from Christ. And look at all the other churches are doing this, so, so we better. Our human reasoning, the principles of the world. We need to come back and realize that Christ alone makes us complete. Notice verse 9. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principalities and power. All that we need is Christ. And more of Christ. So, quickly, how to make Christ all. Number one, we must know Christ through the Word of God. Um, Verse 7 of this passage, being rooted and grounded in Christ. It's reading your Bible and looking for Christ in every book. On the back shelf back there. We print it out. It goes through every book of the Bible. Jesus Christ in every book of the Bible. Jesus Christ is in every book of the Bible. And everything we read, we should be looking for Jesus Christ and to be grounded and rooted in that faith. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. And it is He alone. So, the knowledge of Christ. Secondly, realize what you would have without Christ. Number one, there would be no creation. Christ is the Creator. There would be no life. No physical life. No spiritual life. There would be no forgiveness of sin. Without Christ. See, Christ is all in all. There'd be no creation. There'd be no life, physical life. There'd be no spiritual life. There'd be no forgiveness. There'd be no help in this life. There would be no hope for the future. That's what you have without Christ. And and realizing, I'm not going to take the time to all the opposites of that, that's what we have is we have hope, we have help, we have forgiveness, and so on. And so that ought to be, here's this treasure I have in Christ. Look at all that Christ is as I read the Word of God. I see He's the great shepherd. I see He's the light of the world. I see He's the bread of life, so on and so forth. And this treasure is mine in Christ, and so... It should cause me to give thanks perpetually. God, thank You that You are shepherding me today. And in verse 7 of this passage, it says, Abounding in it with thanksgiving. Abounding in Christ. Thinking about what you have in Christ. And do that with thanksgiving. And understand He is the source of life. He is the source of everything Everything good comes from Him. He is a generous giver 
of good things, and in Christ alone I have all that I need. Fourthly, see Christ in every event of life. He's in every event of your history. He's in every circumstance of your life. Every affliction, God is using it in your life to make you more like Christ. Every sorrow, He is there to bear your burden. Every, every burden, He is there inviting you to cast your care upon Him. Every storm, He is there in the boat with you. He is present with you. Every sorrow, He is there to give you joy and encouragement. He is using every event in life. There's nothing in your life that Christ is not involved in and wanting to, to and not wanting to use in your life. And so it is important for us to every every event. And you may not understand it, but you say, God, I thank you that you are able to use this in my life to make me more like you. My purpose is Christ likeness. Number five, function in a church body. Why function in a church body? We won't go into it. You may in your class tonight. But he said, here's my prayer that you'd be knit together in love. Well, you know, the verses we quoted earlier, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. You need mercy for people that are doing stupid things, right? And so if you relate to people in a church... You'll run into people like me that do stupid things. So you need mercy. Bowels of mercy. Kindness. It, that's brought out in a church body. Humbleness of mind. You may think, I'm better than that. No. Humble yourself. Be a servant. Long-suffering. You don't need long-suffering when everything's going your way. And He put us in a church body to mold us, shape us to the image of Christ. And and that's why it's important that we learn to function in a church body. Number six, depend on Christ for everything. John 15 and verse 5, Without me ye can do nothing. He is the vine, we are the branches. Acts 17, in Him we live and move and have our being. Do you understand, without Christ, literally, we can't get up from our chair. We can do nothing. If we, re- if we learn to depend on Christ for everything, you wouldn't have to encourage people to pray. We'd be praying about everything. We'd, we'd be understanding, God, I can't do this. I can't be the father. I can't be the husband. I can't be the parent. I can't walk in the ways of God. I can't do this, God. I need Christ. And Paul was bringing to them the reality that everything you have as a believer is in Jesus Christ and everything you need is in Jesus Christ alone. That's why Paul said in in Corinthians, I determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ. 
It's Jesus Christ alone. And it's easy for us to get off in these various tangents and, and to understand the, the lure of doing things in our own power. And we don't often say, I'm going to do this in my own power. But we leave our mascot, so to speak, on the sidelines. He's not our mascot. He's our life. He's the source of everything. We would be a pile of dust. I mean, if Christ left us all right now, there would be piles of dust in all the pews and a pile of dust right here. He is our life physically and spiritually. And, and if anyone should be dependent upon God, it's we as believers. God, I need you. I can't. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I need your power, Christ. I need the power of God in my life to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I cannot do it. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. So, it is. It's Christ. And Paul said... Um, I, I love you, he wrote to the church at Colossae, and the last thing I want to see is you drawn away from Christ. Whether it's through false teachers, tradition of men, principles of the world, deceptive reasoning, rationalization, whatever it is. You know, and we need to come back and say, wait a minute, it's Christ and Christ alone. So, I'm going to ask Jason to come and lead us, and we're going to sing the song, You Are My All in All. And think about it. Is He my all in all? We're going to sing songs now that um, reinforce the message that we've just heard. It is Christ and Christ alone. And, and I want you to think of the words in light of the passage of, of Colossians 2 and ask yourself and search your own heart, is my life totally focused on Christ or is my life Christ as a mascot? Is He my all in all? <clears throat>